Good evening. I hope you've had a wonderful day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a great night's sleep with some old familiar stories that you haven't heard in a while. Links to every story can be found in the show notes at our website, bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight's story, The Girl Who Got Rattled, by Stuart Edward White. This is one of the stories of Alfred. There are many of them still floating around the West, for Alfred was in this time very well known. He was a little man, and he was bashful. That is the most that can be said against him, but he was very little and very bashful. When on horseback, his legs hardly reached the lower body line of his mount, and only his extreme agility enabled him to get on successfully. When on foot, strangers were inclined to call him Sonny. In company, he never advanced an opinion. If things did not go according to his ideas, he reconstructed his ideas and made the best of it. Only he could make the most efficient best of the poorest ideas of any man on the plains. His attitude was a perpetual sidling apology. It has been said that Alfred killed his men diffidently, without enthusiasm, as though loath to take the responsibility. And this, in the pioneer days of the plains, was either frivolous affectation or else Alfred. With women he was lost. Men would have staked their last ounce of dust at odds that he had never in his life made a definite assertion of fact to one of the opposite sex. When it became absolutely necessary to change a woman's preconceived notions as to what she should do, as, for instance, discouraging her riding through quicksand, it would persuade somebody else to issue the advice. And he would cower in the background, blushing his absurd little blushes at his second-hand temerity. Add to this narrow, sloping shoulders, a soft voice, and a diminutive pink-and-white face. But Alfred could read the prairie like a book. He could ride anything, shoot accurately, was at heart afraid of nothing, and could fight like a little catamount when occupation for it really arose. Among those who knew, Alfred was considered one of the best scouts on the plains. That is why Caldwell, a capitalist, engaged him when he took his daughter out to Deadwood, as Caldwell was determined to go to Deadwood. A limited experience of the lady's sort, where they have wooden floors to the tents, towels to the tent poles, and expert cooks to the delectation of the campers, had convinced her that roughing it was her favorite recreation. So, of course, Caldwell Sr. had, sooner or later, to take her across the plains on his annual trip. This was at the time when wagon trains went by way of Pierre on the north and the South Fork on the south. Incidental Indians of homicidal tendencies and undeveloped ideas as to the propriety of doing what they were told made things interesting occasionally, but not often. There was really no danger to a good-sized train. The daughter had a fiancé named Alan, who liked roughing it too, so he went along. He and Miss Caldwell rigged themselves out bountifully and prepared to enjoy the trip. At Pierre, the train of eight wagons was made up, and they were joined by Alfred and Billy Knapp. These two men were interesting, but tyrannical on one or two points, such as getting out of sight of the train, for instance. 
They were also deficient in reasons for their tyranny. The young people chafed, and finding Billy Knapp either imperturbable or thick-skinned, they turned their attention to Alfred. Alan annoyed Alfred and Miss Caldwell thoughtlessly approved of Alan. Between them, they succeeded often in shocking fearfully all the little man's finer sensibilities. If it had been a question of Alan alone, the annoyance would soon have ceased. Alfred would simply have bashfully killed him. But because of his innate courtesy, which so saturated him that his philosophy of life was thoroughly tinged by it, he was silent and inactive. There is a great deal to recommend the plane's journey at first. Later, there is nothing at all to recommend it. It has the same monotony as a voyage at sea, only there is less living room, and instead of being carried, you must progress to a great extent by your own volition. Also, the food is coarse, water poor, and you cannot bathe. To a plainsman or a man who has the instinct, these things are as nothing in comparison with the charm of the outdoor life and the pleasing tingling of adventure. But woman is a creature wedded to comfort. She also has a strange instinctive desire to be entirely alone every once in a while. Probably because her experiences, while not less numerous than man's, are mainly psychical. And she needs occasionally time to get thought up to date. So Miss Caldwell began to get very impatient. The afternoon of the sixth day, Alfred, Miss Caldwell, and Alan rode along side by side. Alfred was telling a self-effacing story of adventure, and Miss Caldwell was listening carelessly because she had nothing else to do. Alan chafed lazily when the fancy took him. I happened to have a limb broken at the time Alfred was observing, parenthetically in his soft tones. And so, what sort of a limb, asked the young Easterner, with direct brutality. He glanced with a half-humorous aside at the girl, to whom the little man had been mainly addressing himself. Alfred hesitated, blushed, lost a third of his tail, and finally, in great confusion, reined back his horse by the harsh Spanish bit. He fell to the rear of the little wagon train where he hung his head and went hot and cold by turns in thinking of such an indiscretion before a lady. The young Easterner spurred up on the right of the girl's butt. "'He's the weirdest little fellow I ever saw,' observed with a laugh. "'Sorry to spoil his story. Was it a good one?' "'It might have been, if you hadn't spoiled it,' answered the girl, flicking her horse's ears mischievously. The animal danced. "'What did you do it for?' "'Oh, just to see him squirm. "'He'll think about that all the rest of the afternoon. "'And will hardly dare look you in the face next time you meet. "'I know, isn't he funny? "'The other morning he came around the corner of the wagon "'and caught me with my hair down. "'I wish you could have seen him.' "'She laughed gaily at the memory. "'Let's get ahead of the dust,' she suggested. "'They drew aside to the firm turf of the prairie "'and put their horses to a slow tape. Once well ahead of the canvas-covered schooners, they slowed down to a walk again. Alfred says we'll see them tomorrow, said the girl. See what? By the hills. They'll show like a dark streak down past that butte there. What's its name? Porcupine Tail. Oh, yes. And after that, it's only three days. Are you glad? Are you? Yes, I believe I am. This life is fun at first, but 
There's a certain monotony in making your toilet where you have to duck your head because you haven't room to raise your hands, and this barreled water pales after a time. I think I'll be glad to see a house again. People like camping about so long. It hasn't gone back on me yet. Well, you're... can do things. Can't you do things? You know I can't. What do you suppose they'd say if I were to ride out just that way for two miles? They'd have a fit. Who'd have a fit? Nobody but Alfred. And I didn't know you'd gotten afraid of him yet. I say, just lads, let's have a race and we'll come right back. The young man looked boyishly eager. It would be nice, she mused. They gazed into each other's eyes like a pair of children and laughed. Why shouldn't we, urged the young man. I'm dead sick of staying in the moving circle of these confounded wagons. What's the sense of it all, anyway? Why, Indians, I suppose, said the girl doubtfully. Indians, he replied with contempt. Indians, we haven't seen a sign of one since we left Pierre. I don't believe there's one in the whole blasted country. Besides, you know what Alfred said at our last camp. What did Alfred say? Alfred said he hasn't even seen a teepee trail and that they must be all up hunting buffalo. Besides that, you don't imagine for a moment that your father would take you all the way to Deadwood just for a lark if there were the slightest danger, do you? Don't know why made him. She looked out over the long sweeping descent to which they were coming and the long sweeping ascent that lay beyond. The breeze and the sun played with the prairie grasses the breeze rifling them over, and the sun shivering their underservices thus exposed. It was strangely peaceful, and one almost expected to hear the hum of bees as in a New England orchard. In it all was no sign of life. We'd get lost, she said finally. Oh, no, we wouldn't, he asserted, with all the eagerness of the amateur plainsman. I've got that all figured out. You see, our train is going on a line with that butte behind us and the sun. So if we go ahead and keep our shadows just pointing to the butte, we'll be right in their line of march. He looked to her for admiration of his cleverness. She seemed convinced. She agreed and sent him back to her wagon for some article of invented necessity. While he was gone, she slipped softly over the little hill to the right, centered rapidly over two more, and slowed down with a sigh of satisfaction. One alone could watch the directing shadow as well as two. She was free and alone. That was the one thing she had desired for the last six days of the Long Plains journey, and she enjoyed it now to the full. No one had seen her go. The drivers droned stupidly along, as was their wont. The occupants of the wagon slept, as was their wont and the diminutive Alfred was hiding his blushes behind clouds of dust in the rear, as was not his want at all. He had been severely shocked, and he might have brooded over it all the afternoon if a discovery had not startled him to activity. On a bare spot of the prairie he discerned the print of a hoof. It was not that of one of the train's animals. Alfred knew this because just to one side of it, caught under a grass blade so cunningly, that only the little scout's eyes could have discerned it at all, was a single blue bead. Alfred rode out on the prairie to right and left, 
and found the hoofprints of about 30 ponies. He pushed his hat back and wrinkled his brow, for the one thing he was looking for he could not find, the two narrow furrows made by the ends of teepee poles dragging along on either side of the ponies. The absence of these indicated that the band was composed entirely of bucks, and bucks were likely to mean mischief. He pushed ahead of the whole party, his eyes fixed earnestly on the ground. At the top of the hill, he encountered the young Easterner. The latter looked puzzled in a half-humorous way. I left Mrs. Caldwell here a half minute ago, he observed to Alfred, and I guess she's giving me the slip. Scold her good for me when she comes in, will you? He grinned, with good-natured malice at the idea of Alfred scolding anyone. And Alfred surprised him. The little man straightened suddenly in his saddle and uttered a fervent curse. After a brief circle about the prairie, he returned to the young man. You go back to the wagons and wake up Billy Knapp and tell him this, that I've gone scouting some and I want him to watch out. Understand? Watch out. What? began the Easterner, bewildered. I'm gonna find her, said the little man decidedly. You don't think there's any danger, do you? asked the Easterner in anxious tones. Can't I help you? You do as I tell you, replied the little man shortly and rode away. He followed Miss Coldwell's trail quite rapidly, for the trail was fresh. As long as he looked intently for hoof marks, nothing was to be seen. The prairie was apparently virgin, but by glancing the eye forty or fifty yards ahead, a faint line was discernible through the grasses. Alfred came upon Mrs. Caldwell seated quietly on her horse in the very center of a prairie dog town, and so, of course, in the midst of an area of comparatively desert character. She was amusing herself by watching the marmots as they barked, or watched or peeped at her, according to their distance from her. The sight of Alfred was not welcome, for he frightened the marmots. When he saw Miss Caldwell, Alfred grew bashful again. He sidled his horse up to her and blushed. "'I'll show you the way back, miss,' he said diffidently. "'Thank you,' replied Miss Caldwell with a slight coldness. "'I can find my own way back.' "'Yes, of course,' hastened Alfred in an agony. "'But don't you think we ought to start back now? "'I'd like to go with you, miss, if you'd let me. "'You see, the afternoon's quite late.' Miss Caldwell cast a quizzical eye at the sun. "'Why, it's hours yet till dark,' she said amusedly. Then Alfred surprised Miss Caldwell. His diffident manner suddenly left him. He jumped like lightning from his horse, threw the reins over the animal's head so he would stand, and ran around to face Miss Caldwell. "'Here, jump down,' he commanded. The soft southern burr of his ordinary conversation had given place to a clear incisiveness. Miss Caldwell looked at him amazed. Seeing that she did not at once obey, Alfred actually began to fumble hastily with the straps that held her riding skirt in place. This was so unusual in the bashful Alfred that Miss Caldwell roused and slipped lightly to the ground. Now what? she asked. Alfred, without replying, threw the bit to within a few inches of the animal's hoofs and tied both fetlocks firmly together with the double loop. This brought the pony's nose down close to his shackled feet. Then he did the same thing with his own beast. Thus neither animal could do much as hobble one way or the other. They were securely moored. Alfred stopped a few paces to the eastward. Miss Caldwell followed. 
sit down, said he. Miss Caldwell obeyed with some nervousness. She did not understand at all, and that made her afraid. She began to give a dim fear lest Alfred might have gone crazy. His next move strengthened this suspicion. He walked away ten feet, with his hand over his head, palm forward. She watched him so intently that for a moment she saw nothing else. Then followed the direction of his gaze and uttered a little sobbing cry. Just below the skyline of the first slope to eastward was silhouetted a figure on horseback. The figure on horseback sat motionless. We're in for fight, said Alfred, coming back after a moment. He won't answer my peace sign and he's a Sioux. We'll return with the conclusion of our story in our next episode. Would like to remind you that you can send me public domain stories to read. They must be in the public domain. Email me, bigvoicej at gmail.com. Don't forget to give us a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) 